This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Neil Zacharias and you're listening to Eat for the Planet. On this show, we try to answer the question, how can we eat in a way that nourishes us without starving the planet? The show features conversations with food industry leaders, health and sustainability experts, as well as entrepreneurs and creative minds who are redefining the future of food. Christy Middleton is Managing Director of Farm Animal Protection for the Humane Society of the United States, or the HSUS, and working with food service providers in schools is a big part of her job. She's also the author of Meatless, Transform the Way You Eat and Live, One Meal at a Time and has dedicated the bulk of her career to raising awareness for the many health, animal welfare, and environmental benefits that come with eating a plant-based diet. In this interview, Christy and I get into the growing demand for plant-based foods in the food service space, and how schools, hospitals, the military, and other public and private institutions can help cut down their carbon footprint and save money by dedicating one plant-based meal a week to their menus. A recent study into the impact of the HSUS's Meatless Monday campaign found that the combined efforts of the 263 school districts that have the program collectively eliminated 600,000 tons of carbon dioxide emissions, which is the amount of greenhouse gases emitted by driving 1.4 billion miles. With an estimated 13,506 school districts across the U.S., could you imagine the positive impact that serving one meatless meal a week could have? The good news is the Meatless Monday programs have been very well received and the kids seem to love the food. More broadly, Christy talks about the chef training programs and initiatives the HSUS has developed over the years to make it easy for any major food purveyor to start serving delicious plant-based meals in their cafeterias. She also gives some personal insight into how chefs who have never cooked plant-based meals before have responded to the program. While you may have never considered the positive impact that one meatless meal can have, when you hear more about what Christy is doing to get more plant-based options into food service companies across the U.S., you will start to believe that the days of mystery meat and school lunches are certainly numbered. Christy Middleton, thank you so much for joining us on the Eat for the Planet podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. On this show, we've been uh, talking to a lot of entrepreneurs and experts and everything from uh, nutrition to sustainability. But I was particularly excited to speak with you today because um, the work you're doing is on the front lines of the effort to change the way Americans eat. 
um, and you're doing it in places that um, we don't hear much um, about. Um, so I would love to talk about what your experiences have been um, in your efforts as part of your job at HSUS. So why don't we start there? What is uh, your role uh, at HSUS? Um, maybe you can tell our listeners that. Yeah, well, I am very fortunate to work with a team of professionals who help institutions and the individuals who are running the food service operations at institutions like schools, hospitals, colleges and universities. We've done some work with the military and a few correctional facilities. So we work with the food service teams at those types of institutions to help them with reducing the amount of meat they're purchasing and adding more plant-based options to their menus. And it's an area that largely the animal protection movement had not really been able to make much progress in. But now within, I would say, the last six years, we're definitely seeing a bit of a transition to what once had been very difficult to do, which was get these institutions to embrace plant-based foods, to now that's something that's become very mainstream. So when you started off, um, was this, um, you know, how long back was that? Was it, um, um, were you the first um, organization trying to do this? Uh, were there other efforts as well um, to change uh, food services some of these places? I know that in the past, PETA had a campaign where it was working with food service companies and other institutions with um, adding more plant-based options to menus, but I believe that campaign had been laid by the wayside. Maybe it was an idea before its time. Mm -hmm. And then many organizations had been focused on individual behavior change, advocating for more vegan options or plant-based uh, options in restaurants. But nobody was really working with institutions. And the reality is there are 32 million meals served at K-12 schools alone. So if we can get one K-12 school district to change the meals that it's serving, not only is that going to have a big impact on animals who are caught up in the food system, but also it's going to help set the tone for the way that kids eat from the time that they're little. Eating vegetarian or vegan food is now going to be part of their culture. And so we realized that there was a big opportunity there, not only to change the culture, but also to have a tangible impact on the number of animals who are being factory farmed. Wow. So when you start off, um, so I want to dig deeper into the 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 day-to-day -day experiences that you've had um, in trying to encourage people to, one, reduce uh, meat consumption in, in some of these places, uh, and secondly, to introduce plant-based foods as the alternative. So uh, how do you even reach out to um, uh, food? Do you work with food service companies? Do you reach out to universities themselves? What's the best, What's the starting point? Well, it's changed over the years. So initially it was through cold calling and back in the day it was through sending letters in the mail, but we've definitely changed our tactics a bit. Uh, we've really tried to find ways that work best for the institutions we're working with. And so we might do some cold calling, sending emails, asking institutions to meet up with us. And I say institutions to kind of encompass schools, mm -hmm. hospitals, and all of those. We also attend trade conferences. So there are various associations like the School Nutrition Association or the National Association of College and University Food Services. Mm. These are not so sexy organizations, <laughs> but the attendees and the members of these conferences and events have the uh, ability to have a massive impact on the food system because of their purchasing power and the number of meals that they're serving. So we would attend conferences. We would get to know the people who were serving these meals. And then we came up with resources that we could offer them, like recipes and marketing materials, like 
posters and leaflets and things that they could use to educate their customers. And then we realized that there was a big gap. And that was that over the years, people became interested in getting involved in these programs, doing things like Meatless Monday or just getting more vegan options on their menus, but they didn't really know what to serve or the food that they were serving wasn't great. And so their customers were having a bad experience and then they stopped doing those programs. So we were very fortunate to bring on several food service professionals who had decades of experience in working within that field who we could use to advise us on best practices. And then ultimately what we decided to do was develop a culinary program. So now we have several chefs on our team who go to institutions and do hands-on in the kitchen training for culinarians. And that's really flipped the notion of plant-based food on its head for many people. Wow. And so didn't you, in, uh, when you started off uh, your efforts, did you encounter some sort of a resistance to the idea that, uh, you were trying to get uh, meat taken off the menu, maybe even just once a week, um, or you were trying to encourage people to um, choose plants over meat, which um, in maybe not, hopefully not anymore, but at least a few years ago, to some people was even considered un-American. So can you tell me what those experiences have been like um, like, what's the worst pushback you've received? Um, and has that stopped now or you still receive some of it? Yeah, you know, I think the culture has shifted quite a bit over the last few years. Um, I, I haven't really experienced a tremendous pushback, honestly, but I have gotten feedback from some of the school food service directors who we worked with early on who said that um, one example was a school district in Colorado. Like we often think of Denver as being a pretty liberal area, but there are a lot of rural areas in Colorado and there's a very big beef industry there. So there was a smaller school district there named St. Vrain Valley School District that started Meatless Monday, I believe about five years or more ago at this point. And the director there said that when she first started to do Meatless Monday and they announced that they were going to do it, that there was actually a protest staged outside of the school. <laughs> and so her boss came to her and said, how important is it to you to keep doing this? Now, she wasn't vegetarian. She wasn't vegan, but she realized that it's important for us to teach kids about a balance in the way that they're eating. And also we're talking about one day, you know, mm -hmm. who can't go one day without eating meat. And so she said, it's really important that we keep doing this. And so they continued and she had her supervisor's support. And now they said that Meatless Monday continues to be one of their most popular days at school. So they just had to stick with it. And I've heard that from some other institutions. There was a hospital that we worked with in Texas, and the director there said that they got a little bit of pushback initially. But if they just rode that wave out, individuals will just get used to eating that way after a while. And they said that no matter what they do, when you change things, people don't like it. And so as long as you're consistent and you educate them on uh, why you're doing it, and you also provide really good food, then people get with the program. And what is typically the reasons why um, they get convinced before they even have tried the food? Uh, food's probably the easiest, but is it, do you lead with um, the health argument, the environment? Are you talking about animals? Are you talking about just um, how much money they can potentially save by using less meat? What What's the winning argument or does it depend? Yeah, it really depends on the type of institution we're working with. By and large, when any organization is doing research, the Humane Society included, uh, what we have found and what we've encountered by looking at other organizations' research is that people are eating less meat or going vegetarian or vegan 
because of the health benefits. Mm -hmm. But doing it for ethical reasons is really what helps people stick with it. So we typically lead by talking about the health benefits of eating more plant-based foods, but we also add that it can help the institutions be more environmentally sustainable and re reach those environmental sustainability goals. We also talk about the fact that they could potentially save money depending on what they're serving instead of meat. So one school district we work with, Detroit Public Schools, they started doing a meatless Monday and they found they could save some money. And so they started doing two entirely meat-free days throughout the week. And that's definitely a selling point for institutions that are serving meals and have a plate cost of a little over a dollar to get many components on one menu. Wow. So has this um, experience, you know, been surprising for you to see, um, parts of the country um, and institutions be so open to the idea of changing their menus? And um, has it been, you know, what do you attribute that to? I mean, of course, Americans are consuming less uh, meat, it appears to be the case, or at least they are choosing to eat more healthy foods. But at the end of the day, um, people, especially institutions, there are certain, as you said, when you make a change, people are going to be upset about it somehow, no matter what the change is. Um, what has surprised you the most in the last few years as, um, you know, you've been focused on this particular issue? Well, I honestly am very surprised at the momentum that this movement has built. I wouldn't have believed just a few years ago that we would be working with the nation's largest food service providers like Compass Group and Aramark. And these are names that a lot of consumers don't know, but they are serving the meals at thousands of schools, hospitals, and other institutions across the country. And now these companies are committed to working with us to add more plant-based options to their menus. And I think that they see this as no longer just a trend. And it was billed as that in the food industry trade publications for many years in a row, but more as something that's here to stay. And if they're not adding more plant-based options to menus and they're not doing a good job, then they're at risk of losing consumers or losing to their competition. So I am really surprised by how quickly the progress has happened. And uh, I'm also surprised at the success that we're having in some unexpected places. So we've worked with school districts in Texas, mm -hmm. um, Dallas public schools, Houston public schools, and even Laredo public schools right on the border of Mexico. And these are places that I think most people wouldn't expect to be doing things like a meatless Monday, but they recognize the health benefits of getting more of their kids to eat more plant-based foods, and they're excited to work with us. And you don't get pushback about um, protein, for example. I mean, I try to avoid the protein question on, in most of my interviews, but here you're talking about schools and you're talking about kids and um uh, parents at the end of the day um, have a lot of misconceptions about nutrition. Uh, has that come up um, and maybe has it been an issue for you and um, and how do you typically address that? When we worked with the Los Angeles Unified School District to do Meatless Monday, which serves 700,000 meals a day, the director at the time said that they got about 30 calls from parents out of 700,000, which to them was kind of a drop in the bucket, mm -hmm. but that they saw it as an opportunity to communicate with parents. Because as you said, there tend to be a lot of misconceptions. People don't even know what protein is, let alone how much yeah. of it they should be eating. And but they do yet, know they need to be worried about it. <laughs> yet they're obsessed with it. Exactly. So it gave those institutions an opportunity mm -hmm. to really have a conversation with parents about why they're doing these programs and that what they're serving are things like a rice and bean burrito, things mm -hmm. that are really 
familiar favorites. So it really it helped them with opening up a dialogue. Yeah. In terms of feedback from um, parents and students themselves, um, have they embraced some of the newer foods? Um, have you found them suddenly discovering uh, that what was served on a Monday was sometimes better than what was served on other days? Um, and, you know, to that, that's kind of dependent on the food service provider. Um, but to what extent have you been involved in that? What feedback have you gotten from school students in schools? Well, I live in Oakland, California, where the food service department is doing incredible work. And it might sound a little biased, but they're definitely one of the leaders in the nation in terms of getting more plant-based options on menus. So they started out by doing Meatless Monday. And then for operational reasons, they decided to do it on Wednesdays. So they not, now call it a Lean and Green Wednesday. And they do things with local foods. So they've gotten tofu from a local purveyor. And a lot of schools are not serving tofu because you can really mess it up if you don't know what you're doing. But they told us about this dish they were serving that was tofu with bok choy and noodles. And the students were saying, oh, my God, I wish I could eat this every day. And so it really helped introduce students to new foods that they would then go home and talk to parents about. And that's pretty consistent, again, depending on what the schools are serving. And we do see a gamut from schools that are not really doing any scratch cooking and just heating up frozen burritos to schools that are doing things like what Oakland is, which are um, incredible scratch meals. Yeah. And in this situation, you know, in this, uh, once the program's put in place, what is your role going forward? Are you uh, sort of playing a support role for the food service company? Uh, is it your involvement only in the beginning and then you step away? How do you stay involved? We definitely want to continue to be engaged because we want to ensure that the programs are successful. And if not, we're there to help troubleshoot. We also want to track our progress and make sure that what we're recommending is actually having the impact that we want it to. So we're involved in a few ways. I mentioned the culinary training that we do. We have now three chefs on our team that travel across the country and deliver hands-on in the kitchen training to chefs. And I'll just share that I feel like that's been one of our most popular most important tools because we have chefs who come in to the kitchen with a real bad notion of what plant-based food is. And they have some preconceived ideas. They're not excited to be there. And I've literally gotten feedback on one of our surveys that said, I came in wondering what these jerks were going to teach me <laughs> about eating vegetables. And I left having completely changed my mind because we're showing them food that is really simple to make. That's just taking the techniques that they are used to using and using soy milk instead of milk or earth balance instead of margarine. So we're serving really decadent, delicious foods, but they happen to be vegan. And so I think that tool has been tremendously helpful. We also provide them ongoing support for marketing materials. And then we do greenhouse gas emissions um, data compilation if they're interested in doing that kind of tracking. And I think because increasingly schools and other institutions are concerned about their environmental footprint, that's something that we can provide them that not only helps us ensure that we're being effective, but gives them something that they can report to their constituents. So that's not a thing you're doing for all the um, the institutions that you've partnered with, um, because what would be interesting to see is some of this data over the years as, um, you know, because you're you're going in and doing it across the country. You're able to gather it from not just hospitals, but, you know, universities and schools and the military even now. Um, do you have that data? Are you maybe potentially thinking of publishing that or is it just back to the to the institution that you're working with? 
That's been a very big challenge for us is actually getting the data because a lot of the institutions consider it proprietary information. Mm -hmm. So we offer that service as a way to incentivize them to share the data so we can ensure we're being effective, but also because we feel like it would be helpful for them to report it as well. And because of the financial information that's included in it, the cost savings and um, okay. Indeed. Yeah. Because we're working with a lot of major food service providers and they don't really want their competition to know what they're doing. Right. So to what extent are your role? is a sort of like a bridge between you did mention you have chefs but um, that do that provide culinary training to the chefs um, so trainers educators but uh, to what extent are you working with um, the food industry to offer interesting products you mentioned in Oakland they they source some of the um, products from uh, local farms is that something that you can um, get involved in some way? Do you Can you recommend companies that have better products so you don't end up um, implementing Meatless Monday in, say, a school, but um, they don't the the dish they go with is is not really the best representation of what plant-based food could be. Yeah, that would be terrible and we definitely have had some bad experiences in the past um, with people who are working with vendors who have a product that's substandard. So it is something that the Humane Society is involved in. Uh, one of my colleagues Josh Balk was a co-founder at Hampton Creek, mm -hmm. which is plant-based uh, food company that's now in available throughout Compass Group's accounts. They serve the cookies, they serve their salad dressings and have replaced their animal-based salad dressings and cookies with those from Hampton Creek. We also often hear from individuals who are starting up food companies and want advice on what would be the best way to reduce animal suffering and how to get involved in the industry. And then when schools are interested in having plant-based meats, they don't always want to because they tend to be a little more expensive and they have very, very low plate costs. But when they do, we have a variety of uh, companies that we can refer them to. And there tend to be new companies coming out all the mm -hmm. time. And since we have individuals who are on our team who have the background in food services, they can talk to these companies about the things that would be important for them to think about, like distribution, like packaging, and price point. So we love to offer that service to people who are interested in starting companies. So it sounds like, you know, you're um, helping to bridge this gap between uh, people that would otherwise not talk, but um, are able to sort of connect the dots and uh, bring everything from uh, low cost food to good tasting plant based food um, and some amount of education to the chefs at these um, at these institutions. Uh, How is what what are your kind of immediate next steps with this program? I mean, is this um you know, can you share some data in terms of uh, where you are now versus where you would love to be? To what extent have you been successful um, at bringing this to institutions across the country? And how much further do we really have to go? Well, we've made a lot of progress, but there's a long way to go. We know that we've worked with over 200 school districts across the country. There are literally thousands of mm -hmm. them. Um, we are working with the biggest food service providers in the United States, but they each have thousands of chefs. So right now we're talking about scaling up our culinary program, and that may look like hiring an army of chefs who are available to work with institutions across the country or finding some kind of technological solution to enable us to train those chefs remotely 
or to offer some type of train the trainer program. But really the culinary aspect, I think at the end of the day is what's going to help with transforming the way people eat. Because at the end of the day, the food has to taste good. And that's where I feel like we're really excelling is by just, again, turning the notion of what vegan food can taste like on its head for people. And that's going to enable it to open up a lot more doors for us. So I see us doing more of the culinary work. And I think also venturing into new markets. We've been working within the healthcare healthcare sector to a very small extent. And it's an area that I think is very sorely lacking in providing the very food that it should be providing to its patients and staff to help with informing them to eat a better diet to address the chronic diseases that are plaguing our nation. And so who have you worked with on that front? Because, you know, that's something that just um, baffles me that we haven't, uh, more people aren't talking about it. The fact that you have uh, hospitals um, treating people for the diseases that they end up uh, in some ways causing through their own cafeterias with the kind of food that they serve. So um, how much how how much progress has been made in that front? I know besides schools, are you is that a big focus going forward? Have you already worked with many? We've worked with a handful of hospitals. Mm-hmm. I would say probably about fifty or so, um, but there are dozens of them, yeah. if not thousands of them across the country. Uh, I'm really excited that Kaiser Permanente, based in California, has done a lot of work in terms of. Um, advising its physicians to encourage more plant-based diets. They've put out a guide for physicians who are treating patients suffering from heart disease, cancer, type 2 diabetes, who have experienced stroke to eat a more plant-based diet. And they've even said, don't worry if you can't get to 100%, even 80% is a good step in the right direction. So we've worked with them to an extent. We've also worked with smaller healthcare systems like Palomar Health, which is a four-hospital system down in Southern California. They started doing Meatless Monday two years ago. They were the second hospital we worked with to do a culinary training, or actually the first hospital we worked with, the second place to do a culinary training with us. And then in July of this year, they announced that their goal was that 60% of all of the meals that they served would be plant-based. So that's a pretty big goal, and it was a very lofty statement for a hospital to make, definitely a leader in the field. And I know that there are a lot of physicians now who recognize the benefits of a plant-based diet, who are advocating for it. And we're trying to bring them to the forefront of the healthcare industry and advise other food service providers that this is something that they should also be doing in their hospitals. Your job sounds like it's not just very challenging, but uh, also very interesting and probably satisfying. What do you love about it the most? Is it traveling? Is it meeting the people, seeing the actual results? Um, You've been at this for many years now. Um, What's the most gratifying part about it? It's hard to say, and I feel very guilty that I think I have the best job in the world. (laughs) It's really amazing to get to see the progress that's happening. Um, My team is incredible. They're very hardworking, dedicated people. The professionalism that they bring to the work every single day is just uplifting and very inspiring. Also, I get to eat a lot of awesome food all the Mm -hmm. time. So just yesterday, we were training with one of the big food service providers, and we were showing them how to make a crab-free crab cake that was made from hearts of palm. We made quesadillas using the Dea dairy-free cheese. We were making, I mean, I could go on and on about the food. (laughs) That's probably one of my favorite parts. But honestly, it's just recognizing that I'm playing a very small part in this massive problem, but that we're seeing progress every single day. Yeah. And I have to ask, ask you this though. What do you hate about your job the most? 
Oh, good question. I don't know that I have an answer to it. I guess that it's just not, uh, things aren't happening as fast as, as I would like them to, but I'm definitely very excited about the progress that's happening. Yeah, don't you face some sort of uh, pushback when pe- some people find out that you uh, work for the Humane Society of the United States and what are you doing uh, pushing food changes when, you know, a lot of people have misconceptions of what the Humane Society is as well. So has that been an issue for you ever? You know, it, it's a question from time to time, but I think once we explain to people that we work to help all animals, including animals raised for food, mm-hmm. then they get it. Um, and, and it really honestly has not been a problem for us. I think that it just demonstrates that this is a mainstream voice, that this is a respected organization, and that we're advocating for modest changes that are going to add up to transformational change for animals. It almost seems like when you read um, things on the internet about uh, how um, people are so resistant to change the way that they eat, you're making it seem like the opposite is true, that people are more open to the idea of cutting down on meat and embracing plant-based foods. And it's important for the listener to keep in mind, you're not just talking about schools in Oakland or New York City. You're going to parts of the country. In, In middle America, you're going to Michigan. You said you mentioned Texas as well. Is it true that, you know, people are just, is it happening across the country? People are just more open to this idea or they make all these connections. What is it that you're finding out? Because you're meeting people um, out there who are decision makers, who are deciding what uh, kids in this country, for example, will be fed. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I don't mean to sound cynical, but is this... Are you really seeing this kind of change happening across the country? You know, it definitely started on the coast. So mm-hmm. I, being in California, I really started out with working with schools in California and then reaching out to the major city school districts across the country and then kind of filling in from there. But we have worked with Kansas City Public Schools, which is doing a Meatless Monday. As I mentioned, we worked with schools in Texas as well. And that's not to suggest that everybody is really pumped about Meatless Monday. There are some school districts that say, we're going to do it because we know it's the right thing to do. We're just not going to market or talk about it. And we're serving bean burritos. Nobody's going to be any the wiser. But I do feel like, by and large, there is this cultural shift. Now, when we go out and talk to people on the street or in general public, I definitely think that plant-based food has caught on. But that's not to suggest that everybody is excited about it. Um, But what I see in the places where I go and I'm talking to food service professionals, they're following the trade publications. And the trade publications are saying, they said in 2015, vegan went mainstream. They said in 2016 that vegetables were the hero. They Mm -hmm. said that vegan comfort food is the top trend for 2017. So they're reading this and they're recognizing that they need to get with the game. And, you know, finally, we have good, I wouldn't say finally, that's, um, that's probably not true. But I think we, good tasting plant-based food is now, I think, largely the norm versus when people think of uh, plant-based in the past or vegetables, they assumed it was going to be um, something steamed and bland tofu next to it, which is unfortunate uh, that, that no one should be subject to that kind of food. Um So what's next for you in terms of um, this campaign, this initiative? How do you see it sort of branching out and growing? Of course, you know, you're making progress, but as you pointed out, you have a long way to go uh, to change every institution in America to firstly adopt Meatless Monday and then hopefully have a more plant forward menu and who knows what down the line. What's next? 
Well, I would say we'll continue doing this work here in the United States, and we're trying to move beyond a meatless Monday and help individuals eat meat-free throughout the week, even if it's you know something like a vegan before six or just adding more variety of plant-based di- uh, options into their diet. But I also see this expanding internationally. We have Humane Society International in Canada that just started doing this program a couple of years ago, and they're already experiencing a lot of success there. We have counterparts in Brazil and South Africa and Vietnam and other places all around the world that recognize the potential in working in the institutional food space where they're uh, trying to change the mind of the leadership that have the ability to affect millions of meals rather than trying to affect individual decisions. And then once they get the leadership on board, they get the really good food in the cafeterias, then individuals will be more likely to make those changes. We know based on consumer surveys that the things that impact their food decisions are, it has to taste good, it has to be convenient, it has to be affordable. And so by making all of these foods taste good, make them widely available, make them affordable, we will be able to make a big impact. And are you finding in the places that uh, plant-based food is now starting to be included in menus, in institutions, are you finding that uh, people in those communities are demanding more of that food? Do you have any real data or anecdotal one that uh, would would tell, tell you that you're actually impacting that community as a whole? You know, we don't really have any data on that kind of thing, but I can talk to you about a few different stories um, Mm -hmm. from institutions we worked with. One was Canisius College here in New York. It's in upstate New York, and we ended up hiring the chef there who had been working with the student population. There was a student vegetarian group, and they had a decent amount of vegetarian options, but they were saying, we want more vegan options. And so she teamed up with our chefs back when she was still working there. And they came up with an incredible vegan menu that increased their sales by 400%. So when you talk about motivation for Mm. the food service providers, they're really looking at the data. How is our, how's it going to affect our business? And so it was so successful And they later had her change all of the pastries on this entire campus to be vegan. And then we hired her. But they continue (laughs) with the the tradition there on that campus. And because it's an account of one of the nation's biggest food service providers, they're looking to that as a model for what they can do all across the country. And we know that this has been successful in other places. So two of our team came from the University of North Texas, which was the school that was the first in the nation to have a total totally vegan dining hall. They had five dining halls on campus. One was underperforming and it was about to close. It was getting about 175 transactions per week. And so they had been hearing a lot of students asking for more vegan options. They decided to transform this dining hall into a vegan one. And the chef who was responsible for the menus was not vegan. She Mm -hmm. had never cooked vegan food and she had no idea how she was going to appeal to students, but she quickly found some cookbooks, looked online and found some resources. And she just realized that it's a matter of swapping out one ingredient for another. It's that simple at the end of the day. And so they transitioned that dining hall into the second biggest performer on campus. They had students that were going there as a destination 
Nine out of 10 of the students who were going there are not vegetarian. They're not vegan. They went there because the food was excellent. And then Ken and Wanda, who are the people who are on our team now who worked there, they were getting calls from all around the world from universities who wanted to know how they were able to make it so successful. And now it's been five years and it remains the second most popular dining hall on campus. And it's getting about 1,700 transactions per day. So it's up tremendously and that it's still popular, I think is a statement about the food that's being served there. And of course, I'm sure the food's good. Otherwise you wouldn't really have those numbers or that success. Indeed. Yes. I actually had the great opportunity to go there a few years ago and it's just like walking into vegan paradise with (laughs) all you can eat buffet, even a soft serve ice cream machine. Wow. So, you know, the world is changing. This country is changing. And I think, you know, I love your optimism. Um, I think it, it explains why you've been very successful at your work as well, um, because you're 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 presenting this as just better food, better for business as well for the food service providers, and better for obviously the people who are eating it. So, I think it's very exciting work for sure. If you you know can look ahead and um, see this long term and where it's going to turn out, say few years down the line, 10, 20, 30 years, where would you like to see this work go? What's your kind of uh, vision for the future when it comes to uh, this campaign and, um, you know, in general, in terms of what your focus is here? That's a tough question. Um, You know, I think the food industry is changing so rapidly. It's going to be pretty hard to suggest what it's going to look like in 10 or 20 years. What I know is that if we don't make dramatic changes to the way that we are feeding ourselves, we are in for a host of problems from the temperatures continuing to rise and the impacts of global warming to the public health crises that we're facing. So I hope that plant-based eating will be ubiquitous, that we will be able to go anywhere and find plant-based options, and that we'll have a dramatic reduction in the number of animals who are caught up in our food system. Now, our position is to reduce, replace, refine. So we're not a vegan organization, but there's no question that the way that we are currently feeding ourselves, the way that we're currently factory farming 9 billion animals in the U.S. alone is not sustainable. It's a travesty for the animals who are caught up in the system and that it's causing tremendous human suffering as well. So I would love to look back and feel like we were at the cusp of this transformation of the food system and that plant-based eating is going to become the norm. And I'm very confident that's going to happen. Yeah, I almost see a future in some ways where some, some of these institutions will have meat served only one day a week versus it being meatless only one day a week. And that would be a a much better scenario for all the reasons you just outlined. And I think the work that you're doing is um, undoubtedly going to take us in that direction. It's only a matter of time. I certainly hope so. You know, I'm part of this uh, annual summit that I attend called Menus of Change, and it's this gathering of institutions, the um, university food service folks, the big food companies from McDonald's and Panera. All of these folks are now attending this, and it's a collaboration of the Culinary Institute of America 
and the Harvard School of Public Health. And the premise of this is healthier and sustainable menus. And plant-based food was part of the program a couple of years ago, but it's now increasingly the top topic that they're talking about. And I just heard this year that the main topic is going to be on plant-based cuisine. And so I think that when we have the leaders of the nation's biggest food companies, universities, and others recognizing that this is the subject they should be talking about, we're definitely going to see some big changes. Yeah. And you're right. And we need everything. We need the chefs to change. We need the industry to change. And of course we need, um, organizations and activists like yourself who are out there willing to uh, give people all the various reasons why they need to make this change. And then what you're doing is even more interesting is then show them how to do it um, and connect them to the food, which is at the end of the day, uh, what what matters the most. So, you know, Christy, thank you so much for joining us on um, on this episode today. I really uh, look forward to seeing your work um, succeed even more. Uh, and hopefully we'll reach that point years from now when um, when meat is the um, rare option on the menu rather than a staple. I look forward to that. Thank you so much for having me here. You've been listening to Eat for the Planet with Nil Zacharias. If you enjoyed this conversation and would like to show your support, please subscribe to the show and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. To learn more about how Eat for the Planet can help your brand or organization develop the right strategy, implement scalable operations, and grow responsibly, visit eftp.co. That's eftp.co. Let's rise up to the challenge of transforming our food system. Thank you for listening.